Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the Cybersecurity Inside podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of What That Means with Camille. We are going to talk about safety of autonomous systems. So this is all about artificial intelligence and how do we keep autonomous driving and uh, aviation safe. I have with me today Michael Kokenderfer, who is professor at Stanford University. He's professor of aeronautics and astronautics and computer science, all three. And he's director of the Intelligent Systems Lab at Stanford, which is part of their Institute for Human-Centered AI, or Artificial Intelligence. He is also co-director of Stanford's Safety for AI Center. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to have you here. I'm interested. Well, I want to start by, can you just give everybody kind of a quick definition of what is an autonomous system? Yeah, an autonomous system is just a system that takes inputs from the real world as perceived through some sensor systems. And it makes decisions and it tells the actuation system what to do. So it takes as input observations of the world and outputs actions or decisions. Or recommendations. Or recommendations, right. There, there's a whole spectrum of autonomous systems, some that, that have to be fully autonomous. So many cybersecurity agents will have to be fully autonomous because they have to make decisions faster than a human can. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other hand, the AI may be used as a decision support system that Mm -hmm. provides recommendations to a human to actually execute. So tell us how you go about building one of these autonomous systems. Right, so to build an autonomous system, you need to choose what kinds of sensor systems to use. So for for an autonomous car, you may need to make decisions about do you use uh, LiDAR and how do you configure the uh, your LiDAR sensors? Do you use camera sens- systems? Do you use radar? You need to understand what your sensing modality is as well as their error characteristics. Then you need to develop a, a perceptual system that will process those sensor inputs to arrive at a good understanding of what's going on in the world. So you need to be able to infer where might there be other vehicles? Where might there be pedestrians and, and so forth? Then inside the decision-making system, it needs to handle all of the different kinds of scenarios that it might encounter, like maybe a pedestrian walking in, into the road or another aircraft crossing into your flight path. And then those decisions then get translated into some kind of actuation if it's a physical system. So it may be control signals that go to the ailerons of an aircraft, or for a car, it may be to speed up or apply the brakes. So those are the major components. Okay. So basically you're going to sense what's happening. You're going to 
perceive based on the sensors the same way essentially mm -hmm. humans take in data. I yep. see something now. What do I think that means <laughs> based on what yep. I'm seeing? And then I'm going to take some action, even if it's just a recommendation to you know, a pilot or a driver, or I'm going to actually just apply the brakes immediately because I can apply them faster than a human can. And otherwise we're going to hit somebody. That's right. So the decisions that you make are going to affect the world. And then that's going to affect what you're going to be perceiving at the next time step. And so this is known as the control loop. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. So how you know, how frequently, you're going to tell me it, it depends, <laughs> how frequently <laughs> are you taking in new sensor, new signals? Is that like a constant thing or? Yeah, so it it, it depends, of course, <laughs> on the application for aircraft collision avoidance systems. This is typically done at, at one hertz or one decision per second. In other situations, like for autonomous cars, it may be 10 milliseconds. It needs to make a new decision. If you're trying to land a rocket, like a, a SpaceX rocket, mm -hmm. that may have to be even faster. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So what, what actually, to stay high level for a minute here too, what makes building these systems difficult? Yeah. Uh, so it's uncertainty. <laughs> making, making decisions under uncertainty is extremely difficult. I'll give you uh, some examples. So one application that we've been working on is wildfire fighting. Hmm. That requires an understanding of the current state of the fire, right? Typically, fire chiefs only have an imperfect understanding. They can gain more understanding by using more sensors, doing overflights with helicopters or, or drones or, or whatever. In autonomous driving, you may have uncertainty about where there might be pedestrians. So there could be noise in the LIDAR sensors where there could be occlusions, like another vehicle may be in front of us, uh, blocking mm -hmm. our, our view of the pedestrian. We also have uncertainty in how the environment will evolve, right? We don't know exactly whether the pilot will continue straight or turn left or turn right. We don't know if the fire is going to propagate to the east at a particular rate, but we might just have a probability distribution over mm. what might happen. And it's important to take into account the, the full spectrum of possibilities here to produce robust decisions. Does it change if you know that both systems are using uh, the same uh, uh, like autonomous. Uh, so I'm trying to ask a very simple question here. Like mm -hmm. if, if your car that has an autonomous system knows that the car that's coming at it and is now going to have a head on is not using a system, is that a factor in how it acts or does it just, you know, escalate the risk and uncertainty, but it still behaves the same way? Right. So generally you can do better if you know the behavior of the other agent. So if both mm -hmm vehicles are equipped with the same system, you can make better predictions about what might happen. Uh, whereas if you have an autonomous vehicle encountering a, another human-driven vehicle, the human might be drunk or distracted or whatever. And so there might be a lot more uncertainty about where the vehicle will be in the over the next few seconds. They might suddenly swerve or, or whatever. Whereas if, if you knew that the other system follow the same rules that you are, you can potentially make uh, much better decisions. 
So, I mean, that seems logical to me. If you had mm-hmm. told me the opposite, I would have been surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm just wondering, what is that implication then for the rollout of these kinds of systems? So it really depends. In some kinds of a- applications, you just won't have perfect 100% penetration with your particular technology. So for autonomous driving, I think we just have to build our cars to be robust to other humans for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. There will be human drivers on the roads for a very, very long time. How are you setting your parameters uh, from you know corner case that like, okay, I really don't think the car is going to be, you know, struck by lightning, um, mm-hmm. you know, during this t- season where there's no lightning in this geography or whatever, but we're going to worry about it anyway, just in case, you know, the one in 15 billion chance or something, you know, or the way that people behave on the road or in the air. And why wouldn't you account for absolutely everything? Is that just like performance of the system? Yeah, you, you can't really account for absolutely anything that, that can happen. So for an example, we wouldn't be able to drive on a two-lane road because it's possible that the oncoming car might just swerve into us at the last moment. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely nothing that, that we can do about it. And so we have to decide what's within scope for our particular system and what's outside of the scope. And how do you decide that? The way we decide this is it requires discussions between the engineers and the various stakeholders. So the the folks who who will be using or or selling the the system, uh, as well as the regulators. So, yeah, and that just kind of brings to mind another question, which is who really needs to be involved when you're designing these kinds of autonomous systems or systems that are providing recommendations? I think having as broad array of stakeholders together in the same room as possible, that's what, what you would want. You, you want to engage the regulators as early as possible so that they can build up an intuition about how you're going about validating the system. You want to uh, engage the end user as much as possible to ensure that there's an alignment between what they're expecting from the system and what the engineers have designed the system to optimize for. Aircraft system, you'd want to engage actually both the pilots uh, Mm -hmm. and maybe also the passengers, Mm -hmm. depending on what the system is. So Mm -hmm. for an example, you'd want to understand what what is the comfort level for the passengers. You don't want to create a system that pulls a half G or a full (laughs) G on the passengers. So getting that balance right is very, very important and ties into some pretty key engineering trade-offs. So if by engaging with passengers, you would have a sense of what kind of maneuvers are appropriate and within scope for your system. That's just okay. one limited example. Right. Okay. So so maybe, and I'm just making these up, but the system is like concerned with preserving fuel where possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, maybe the primary consideration is safety, but then all, all things okay with on that front, it's going to conserve fuel. But then but then that might mean like kind of a sharp nosedive. <laughs> so then you have the passenger saying, no, no, please, right? Let's let's 
let's use a little bit more fuel so that I can uh, be comfortable. Yeah, and uh, also the flirt rate is also pretty key. Mm-hmm. If you're building a, a recommendation system or a, a hazard alerting system, and it's alerting all the time, then the operator will not pay attention to it. Uh, also, another example of engaging the end user on what's acceptable. This comes up quite a bit in autonomous driving, right? You want to understand what's a comfortable level of deceleration. Mm. Maybe that will depend upon whether it's just like a a normal maneuver or whether it's safety critical. Mm-hmm. You may have different thresholds as to what deceleration rate is acceptable for the passengers of the vehicle. What operators and and the end user finds acceptable, that may change over time. And so we want to be able to build systems that we can adjust. So Mm -hmm. for our work with aircraft collision avoidance systems, we know that the airspace will continue to evolve over time. The mixture of different types of aircraft and air traffic control procedures, that's going to change over time. And we want to be able to uh, update and maintain the system to ensure that it's still safe and operationally acceptable. Same thing for autonomous driving and many other domains that rely upon autonomy. How come it's so slow? I mean, I think we all have heard predictions of especially autonomous driving, you know, would have already happened by now. And it's like, we're all sort of waiting. We think it's it's here right around the corner. Great question. So there are a number of different reasons. A lot of people underestimated the difficulty of both building a very robust system, as well as validating that it is robust and it will behave as expected when deployed in the real world. And so the the reason for that is it's just very difficult to anticipate all of the different edge cases that you're going to experience in the world. So some of the early crashes involving Tesla, autopilot, and other systems, they encountered situations that would have been very, very difficult for a human designer to anticipate. Sometimes it's referred to as as a very long tail. Mm. If you think about the, the distribution over possible situations, there are a lot of low probability events that are still you're still going to encounter if you have a broad deployment over an extended period of time. Can you talk about incorporating, I'll say, subject matter expert, a human, early on in the process of training AI or AI self-learning? Like, been hearing lately that there's a lot of benefit to incorporating human knowledge as opposed to just providing data and letting the model run. Can you talk about how you use that or incorporate that? Yeah, humans are extremely important in in a number of different aspects, but two that come immediately to mind, sanity checking our models, right? So for the development of this aircraft collision avoidance system, we needed to build a, a model of the airspace that captured the trajectories of aircraft as they come within close proximity to each other. To validate that, very early on, we generated many, many synthetic encounters from our model, and then compared it to real data and tried to have a human expert guess which one 
was synthetic and which was real. That was a major milestone when we were able to convince human experts that the model of the environment was at least in the right ballpark. Mm-hmm. We used a whole bunch of other quantitative metrics for assessing how representative the model is of data. Humans are also very important in specifying the objective of the system. Mm. Right? So what is it that we want to achieve? What are the appropriate trade-offs? Right. So sometimes it it feels a little bit strange to talk about a trade-off between safety and operational performance, but you have to make that trade-off in order to have a system that that actually works and is acceptable when deployed in, in the real world, right? You wouldn't want to build an autonomous car that went to a full stop as soon as it encountered another car, mm-hmm. right? So getting that balance right is something that that a panel of humans can help inform. Okay. Or it refuses to leave the driveway. It's like, nope, I'm. Yep. <laughs> you prioritize yep. safety, so I'm not going to go at all. <laughs> yeah. So we, we also have to really understand that for these safety critical systems, the goal is not to drive the probability of failure to zero, mm-hmm. right? If someone tells you that they did that, then they're lying to you or their their models don't really capture the full spectrum of what might actually happen. And the, the reason for that just goes back to the, the fact that sensors are imperfect. You know, with some probability, those sensors will fail. Mm-hmm. And also, when you have other agents in the environment with you, it's often impossible to perfectly predict what they will be doing. Tell me about some of the spectrum of research that your lab is looking at. It's pretty broad. It turns out that decision-making on, under uncertainty, which is what our lab does, it connects with many, many different applications. Of course, we sit in the aerospace department, and so we have looked at both aviation applications involving uh, air traffic control and air-to-air collision avoidance and drones. We've looked at space technologies on how do you produce uh, robust plans for satellite sensing. We work on autonomous cars. We've had great collaborations with Toyota, Ford, Bosch, Honda, and many others over the, the years. We're also interested in wildfire fighting. That's another mm-hmm. area that, that I mentioned has a lot of uncertainty. For an example, we, we looked at how would you intelligently use drones to monitor the mm-hmm. evolution of a wildfire? And then on top of that, how do you appropriately allocate resources to fight that fire? We've also applied our methods to scientific discovery. Right next to Stanford is the is SLAC, the Linear Accelerator Center. And one of my PhD students has been collaborating with them on using our techniques to to control an X-ray machine for examining a specimen. You have control over how do you move the X-ray beam, what aperture to use, and and so forth over time. And uh, you want to make these decisions to maximize scientific value. 
Uh, we've also developed a, an autonomous cane, a cane that has a, a LiDAR sensor and camera on board that can help steer someone who is blind around obstacles to get them efficiently and safely to their destination. The one other thing that uh, you had mentioned is you're looking at carbon sequestration. Tell me about that. There's a tremendous interest, of course, in sustainability and climate change. If we want to have a net zero emission of carbon, carbon sequestration has to be part of the equation. And so we've been working with uh, others at, at Stanford uh, with expertise in the earth sciences on how do you safely sequester carbon? So safely sequestering carbon requires kind of making inferences about what's happening in the subsurface. You want to sequester the carbon in a way that it will <laughs> stay there for you know, a hundred or, or more years. If the carbon comes up, then it goes back into the atmosphere, but also since it's carbon dioxide, it can lead to suffocation. So this is something that we need to be able to do extremely reliably. What's kind of one of the biggest arguments that's out there right now in among people who are designing autonomous systems? What are they disagreeing about? I think there are disagreements along every part of the, the chain on <laughs> the sensor systems. Uh, so what sensors should be used on autonomous vehicles? And of course, there are lots of engineering discussions about the trade-offs between cost and error characteristics and, and so forth. There's a lot of discussion about and disagreement about how much of a role neural network uh, should play in safety critical systems. For some kinds of processing, like image processing, natural language processing, it has to be neural networks. No other known technologies that can do what neural networks can for for things like object recognition or or, or speech recognition. Mm -hmm. But there is also a temptation to use neural networks for making controlled decisions. Mm -hmm. So after the image processing and, and so forth, how do you take that situational awareness into a decision? Should that process use neural networks? So we as humans, we, we have our biological neural networks mm -hmm. and uh, we, we've built up confidence that our biological neural networks are adequate for us to mm -hmm. fly aircraft and, and drive uh, at least to some extent. But maybe more interpretable methods would be better for the decision-making systems. So the, the downside of the neural network isn't the decision-making quality of it, it's that it's not as explainable or interpretable by people? Yeah, explainability is, and interpretability is, is a major challenge when mm -hmm. using representations like neural networks. Mm -hmm. Though a lot of research labs are, are very interested in figuring out how to make neural networks a, a bit more interpretable. Sometimes what they do is they produce what's called a, a surrogate model. Uh, so they, they model the decisions that, that the neural network makes, but in a representation that might be a little bit easier for humans to understand, like a decision mm -hmm. tree or, or something like that. 
Right. And so they can look at the decision tree to get kind of a rough idea as to what the neural network is is doing. It's not mm -hmm. a perfect representation. That's why it's a surrogate model. Right. Uh, but at least it can give enough of an intuition that we may be able to have a, a warm feeling in our hearts that, <laughs> that the system we deploy will behave sensibly. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should ask you that people should know about autonomous systems? Two major things will contribute to the safe deployment of these autonomous systems. One is modeling and simulation. That's going to be key. You can't mm. flight test, you can't drive test everything. Flight tests and drive tests are useful for validating the implementation and collecting data on like sensor error characteristics and so forth. But you don't want to be testing your right. safety critical system in the real world and have that be part of your design process. As mm -hmm. much as possible, you want to do the design of these safety critical systems in simulation. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that well, your models have to be trustworthy and mm -hmm. you need to validate the, those models. The second point that I want to make is we always want to gradually deploy our systems and develop our confidence in, in the system as, as it goes along, right? So if we're a delivery drone company, we'll want to do small restricted tests in less populated areas. We do that for a long period of time and, and build up an understanding of, of the failure modes before deploying in you know, San Francisco or, or New York City. Uh, and Waymo has taken a, a similar kind of approach before deploying in Boston where it's snowing. They have collected a huge amount of data in, in California and Arizona where the weather is more predictable. You still have a, a lot of complexity in California and Arizona with human drivers with varying levels of expertise and competence. But you always want to take baby steps right. when developing these systems. Introduce ICE next week. Yeah, that, <laughs> you want to do that very, very gradually. Okay, well, um, Michael Kokenderfer, professor at Stanford University and a head of the Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Camille. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Moorhart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.